to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, crisis management, business continuity, disaster planning, well-being, COVID, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. One other announcement, I will be speaking at the Continuity Insights Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, April 25th to 27th. I'm excited about that. Never been to that area of the country uh, in the U.S., so um, that'll be a nice uh, new experience for me. Looking forward to that. As many of you know, uh, I <clears throat> like to read, and uh, I just read nonstop. I have stacks of articles and papers and standards and shelves and shelves and shelves of books that I love to read for educational purposes and for um, entertainment purposes. A little while ago, there was an article that was published that caught my attention uh, titled Business Continuity and Operational Resilience. Is it the same? And it was published in two parts. And I'd like to welcome the authors of that article today, Ashley Guzman and Andreas Brandt. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Hi, Alex. Uh, Andreas, I know this is your second time uh, being here. And Ashley, it's my first time meeting you. So I'm really happy to have you have Andreas back and getting the chance to meet you, Ashley. Now, I know who you are and some of the things uh, that you've done, but maybe a lot of people around the globe may not be familiar with who you are. So could you take a minute each, minute or two each and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Ashley, could you go first? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you so much, Alex, for having me on. Um, really excited. I'm, I'm going to lead with the reason that, that Andreas and I are here. Um, we started working with a group of colleagues um, earlier this year, and we were having so much fun with the conversation and really enjoying the interactions that we formalized it into a resilience think tank. And so we're all co-founders of that group and launched that in September um, officially. So really excited to work with this uh, global group of people from various backgrounds. Um, so really excited to be here um, as part of the resilience think tank. And, and just quickly for me, um, I've worked for Liberty Mutual Insurance um, for almost 10 years now. and. Really, that's how I got into the private side of, of business continuity. And before that, I was on the public side for some time and also worked for an NGO, um, the American Red Cross after 9-11. Um, so that's kind of quickly my background. And then as a pay it forward, I've been maintaining DisasterEmpire.com, my blog for the last few years, um, and just been sharing my thoughts and ideas and analysis on resilience all things resilience, I guess I should say, um, whether that's business continuity, crisis management, or thinking about self-care um, for well, all of us. Give, in the don't field. give too much away. Don't give too much away. <laughs> on organization and operational resilience, because we're going to talk about that. Don't don't give too much away. <laughs> Great. Well, that's that's good for me, Andreas. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, so thank you, Alex. Uh, it's good also to be on your podcast uh, again. This is my second time. I have said that I will try and teach myself to swivel less in my chair, um, pull faces, and also use the word um after every single word. I'm pretty sure that I'm setting myself up to fail, especially on the last point, but you know, we're gonna give it a go. And now for those of you who don't know, um, I'm Andreas Bryant. I'm also one of the co-founders of the Resilience Think Tank that Ashley alluded to in her introduction and uh, currently operate as a business continuity and resilience specialist in the financial services industry in the UK. I have around nine years experience in the resilience space, 
and a further 12 years spanning across banking, property, consulting, sales, and a little bit of retail, which is what, what, how I started out. Well, welcome uh, back, Andreas, and welcome, Ashley. I'm really looking forward to this chat. As I, while we were waiting for Andreas to come on board, I, I told Ashley that I'm kind of pumped because I just came out of the Continuity and Resilience Today conference with Mark and James, who are two other people on the uh, Resilience Think Tank. So I'm kind of pumped because you, you, you know you know how you feel when you come out of a conference, you know, getting to talk about all this with other people, and then the very next day you get to still talk about it, you know, not just go go back to you know whatever it was you were doing before. So I'm kind of pumped today. So your article is this continuity and operational resilience. Is it the same? It was in two parts. So the first question I'm going to ask um, you, and uh, I don't know who wants to go first, but in your opinion, what is operational resilience and what is it not? Who wants to go first? Andreas, do you want to jump in first or I can just share a high level overview of what it means to me? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, so essentially there is there are many differences or definitions of operational resilience um, we, we've seen when the uk regulators uh, the fca and the pra worked with the bank of england on putting out a consultation paper on on operational resilience uh, must be a few years or two and a half years ago now uh, there are many people that try to define what does operational resilience mean within their organization um, you see as I operate specifically within financial services in the UK, I would at a minimum base my approach on the FCA and PRA definitions as opposed to formulate my own. But again, this does depend on where your firm is regulated. Now, although the regulators are really, well, I believe that regulators are only really concerned with uh, the firm's or financial services firm's ability to identify, withstand and recover important business services where a disruption would either have a detrimental impact on our ability to service our customers or threaten the stability of the UK financial system. As a business continuity practitioner, we represent the mission of the firm, which in most circumstances, I believe, go beyond ensuring just the stability of the financial services uh, industry. We also need to look at protecting our staff, customers, our business model, and also our shareholder value. Now, some of this may not be addressed fully by only concentrating on, for example, your important business service component of the regulator's definition of operational resilience, that as a business continuity practitioner, I believe that we do a lot more than that. So in terms of what I believe it might include, um, yeah, it might sound obvious, but everything that is involved in the end-to-end -end customer journey, fortunately though, I, we have been afforded the ability to define impact tolerances ourselves. And although we may not necessarily have the budget uh, or the appetite internally to build redundancy into every breakpoint during the customer journey, we should position the program to at least identify these breakpoints and understand the impacts of failure. Being prepared to respond puts us in an advantageous position, even if we may not be able to repair or recover within our impact tolerances, I believe that worst case is not knowing what broke and where it broke. If we don't know, then that could reduce or that could result in reduced customer and market confidence, which is not good for any organization. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe in terms of, I think you also asked, um, what does it not include? <sighs> Yeah, according to the FCA and PRA definition, we would say I, I, my, my interpretation of it is that business processes that if unavailable uh, would not impact your important business services as you had defined. And that would include um, uh, areas of the business such as HR and payroll. But yeah, as your listeners would probably agree, as a business continuity practitioner, we include HR, payroll, and all of these other functions that don't necessarily serve a, an important business service. We include them within our business continuity planning. And that's why I think there is a bit of a difference between operational resilience and business continuity. Mm. Yeah. Ashley? Yeah, and I think I'd just add to that. Um, right now in Liberty, there's only one operation 
within you know our global footprint that is in the UK that's really doing the deep dive and looking at that because of the rules, right? Um, so it's really a new area for us to look at across the organization. Um, but when I first started hearing about this, it really was resonating with me. It made a lot of sense. You know, in our business continuity plans today, we very carefully look at dependencies, but honestly, we haven't done a lot with them. We map it out, you know, at a function level, at a process level. And what I really like about the concept um, of operational resilience is looking at everything from that service level view, right? From the beginning to end and really have an understanding of where things could and maybe will break. Um, and, you know, one of the things too, and I've been working really closely in the crisis management space is with learnings from COVID, one of the things that really resonated with me back from working with the business is they would tell us, well, this is great. We have this business continuity plan. We know what to do for our function. But honestly, you can bring us back into the office. You can do this, you can do that. But unless you bring the team from the other functions, right, we can't fulfill this service. We can't do these tasks. We can't really do our work. And mm -hmm. that really started for me to really kind of gel together. Well, let me look more deeply into this operational resilience thing that I'm hearing about because it made so much more sense. And for me, you know, what we were doing in terms of linking dependencies, that was great, but it really wasn't telling us what Andreas was talking about. What are our impact tolerances? You know, really, have we truly mapped this out at a service level to understand where the impacts could be, you know, where the weaknesses could be today and how we could strengthen up. And that's why I'm so excited about this. You know, as Andreas mentioned, it really is in terms of regulatory, uh, you know, authority only in the UK today, but I'm expecting it really to um, widen and go quickly because we all know and have had the experience in working, whether how much you outsource, right, or how much companies outsource a lot of their work. We can't just look at, you know, the internal firm that Andreas is talking about. We have to look at all of the services that are provided by our vendors and really have a good understanding of that. And many of us have been involved in vendor management, but I think it brings a whole nother layer of intensity to say, okay, well, this is great. But if I have a vendor in, you know, India, Malaysia, the Philippines, and they're down, I, I can't do this work. I can't provide this service. So I really like the linkages that I'm seeing and bringing this all together with the concept. It reminds me, because I, I completely agree with you, I think that the that standard, the Bank of England standard there on operational resilience is going to make its way to other parts of the world, just like Sarbanes-Oxley did out of the US. You know, the, I was working for a company, we when it initially was being discussed and came out, we were like, oh, we don't have to get involved. Six months later, yep, corporate office in the US said, okay, now we have to bring you guys on board. And, you have to go through all of this and it impacted us and we had to make changes. It, it sounds like you know, to a degree that operational resilience was always there on some degree, but the, the, the different points were never pulled together to make sense. Because as you, you mentioned, you know, things like um, the different groups, incident management, business continuity management, emergency management, they were all there, but they all worked in silos. Is that one of the benefits of operational resilience now is that those hopefully fingers crossed well i've got a pen in my hand but as best as i can cross my fingers <laughs> uh that those walls are going to come down or at least be uh transparent andreas you can jump in but yeah i think it's going to encourage all of these disciplines to work together more closely especially around risk management and i think that's the other thing that i'm seeing for operational resilience you know, I, I saw something recently um, that made a lot of sense to me that business continuity were often reactive, right? We build things for recovery for when something bad has happened. Um, and what's different for me about the concept of resilience is that real preparedness piece. And although that's very much often part of our programs, it really puts a highlight there. How do we understand truly what the impacts are going to be, not just the concerns, um, but really what's going to happen when a crisis occurs, you know, from a banking standpoint, you know, I, I imagine, well, can someone get cash right out of the ATM? That's, mm. that's ultimately, they want to be able to have us prove that we can still provide services at that level. And if we can't really understand why and, and work around that. So I really see, yeah, it's going to 
force us in a good way to really come together across disciplines. And, and I think business continuity as well is very well poised right now. Uh, we're usually one of the major areas in the company, if not the only area that has a true pulse on all of the functions, all the services provided uh, with the organization, whether you've mapped that already or not. And I think that provides a lot of value in working with our colleagues across the organization um, so that we can really understand what resilience could look like. And, you know, none of us can do it alone. You know, I need risk <laughs> to really understand because that's, I think about it, but that's not where my head is 24 seven. And they're going to look at that in terms of the risk register and what's important to the company as a whole. And I might not have my mindset quite there because I'm thinking about, okay, the next disaster. Right. Um, and that's really where my focus typically is. So I think there's a lot of benefits of working together. Andreas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as business continuity practitioners, the frameworks that we implement within the organization do more than help um, work towards achieving operational resilience within a firm. Um, you know, we are such a key component and, and one, of one of the components of a business continuity program is the business impact analysis. And I know Ashley's talked about this a lot in, in, in her own blogs, um, but it, it, it's such a key tool because if it's done comprehensively, uh, you will already know at least in part what your important business services might be, what resources they require, their interdependencies, key outsourcing partners, and also impact tolerances to a degree. Now, you know, we use various different acronyms such as RTOs and RPOs, um, but essentially all of that can be um, connected together to try and define an impact tolerance across a complete business service and also individually uh, at a component level. So the reason why I say that is because business continuity practitioners would have likely broken down some of these interdepartment silos and I believe that they are positioned to act as a conduit between each of those areas of those businesses. So that's why I think we, we should have a key role to play in helping uh, implement operational resilience within a financial services firm or across any firm, uh, as the case might be. Yeah, I, I think we, we're perfectly positioned to be great facilitators and coordinators, you know, uh, not just you know, getting our feet and you know, right in the muck and just getting into everything. But we also have that ability to bring people together and create strong networks. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Time flies. We are talking today with Ashley Guzman and Andreas Bryant from the Resilience Think Tank, and we will be right back. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Ashley Guzman and Andreas Bryant and their article, Business Continuity and Operational Resilience, Is It the Same? So let's ask that question. Is operational resilience a rebranding of business continuity management, or is it moving business continuity management in a new direction? 
who wants to go first on this one? I'm happy to happy to give it a stab. Um, so, well, okay. So, so some believe it is, some not. I, I've read many many articles online about this, and I've actually debated with some people. Uh, it's been very very healthy actually debating this this topic um, on LinkedIn, actually through our Resilience Think Tank um, site on LinkedIn as well. But I do acknowledge that you've actually asked a direct question. Um, is it a rebranding? For me. It isn't yet, um, especially if we're referring to operational resilience as a regulatory policy. So as a member of the, the BCI, um, the good practice guidelines do promote organizational resilience, which some people, uh, you know, there's a misconception between, you know, are they, are they the same? Are they different? I'm not going to touch on it right now within this, within this podcast, but Essentially, the organizational resilience aspects of the GPG appears to be focused more on the culture of the organization. Now, I believe this is already part of the business continuity practitioner's role, and arguably to comply with operational resilience as a policy, you also need a cultural shift. Typically, I found that strategic roles are occupied by executives within an organization. Therefore, if we sit on the side of the fence where we believe the business continuity role might be evolving into a more resilience focused role, whatever that might be, we should be focusing more on the strategic elements of resilience and less perhaps on the operational side of things. If that is going to be the case in whichever direction it takes in years to come, we would probably need to elevate the role of the business continuity practitioner and position them as an independent function. I find that business continuity often gets consolidated into a risk management role or some firms it's within IT, compliance or operations. Yet business continuity perhaps should have prominence in its own right. Now, I say this acknowledging that is wholly dependent on, of course, the hierarchical structure of your organization. Mm -hmm. But each of these each of these departments which act as a, a key component of delivering operational resilience already have their presence in their own right. So we already have risk management divisions. We have IT. We have compliance. We have operations. But a lot of firms don't have business continuity as a separate independent function. So maybe that is the route that we need to go down. Or perhaps they might, I've seen some firms, they've already started to create a resilience function. And then you would have a membership or champions from different areas of the business contribute towards the output of, 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 their, um, of their methodology, which is, of course, to ensure uh, that the business continues along its journey in making them more resilient. Ashley? Yeah, I really like those ideas, Andreas. Um, I'm not quite sure yet <laughs> what's going to happen. I mean, I don't think that business continuity is going to automatically morph into resilience. I think it depends a lot on what Andreas is saying, you know, for each company, each business, it's maybe different. Um, I think we definitely have a place at that table. I can say that in my experience right now, I'm seeing it housed in risk management, um, typically. So, you know, I think we play very well with that group already. Um, so I think there are natural synergies there. I think we are well positioned to coordinate for everything else that I said before. I think we definitely could be the coordinators of it. If that is a need, I could see definitely for some firms, you know, especially size-wise, right, and capacity, it could be something that uh, business continuity morphs into potentially. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure yet what the future will bring. I think we need to see again, whether other countries, you know, other regulators adopt it as we were saying before um, and how things evolve. But I think it's something as practitioners, we definitely want to keep on the pulse of. Um, we want to really understand what it is going to mean for our organizations. You know, I'm very much a proponent of the organizational resilience and, and I'll just jump in Andreas and say that I don't think they are the same um, because they have a different focus. I think organizational is much more holistic. Um, 
makes sense, right, for the entire organization across the enterprise and includes, you know, looking at employee needs and well-being and all of that, you know, down to business continuity and, and other aspects where I think operational resilience is more specific in the outcome that it's specifically looking for. It's looking at, can we continue operations at the end of the day? And that's where I think the alignment with business continuity really is because that has been our focus, right? We support ongoing operations of the organization. Regardless, I do think the term resilience, whatever it's tagged with, is something that our leadership understands and is interested in and our boards understand and are interested in. That makes a lot more sense to them um, than, like Andrea said, the jargon of business continuity that we use so much. So I think if any, there's any good outcome in the way things evolve and operational resilience becomes much more part of, of what we're all doing, I think it's actually going to help us in that way um, because definitely when I talk to business partners now, like they get it, they understand it. Um, and I think it's up to us. And I, I saw, sat in on a good conversation yesterday about all of the different terms we use and what they mean. And, and everyone has their own um, flavor of this. But I think if we can all come to a common decision, I think it's going to, you know, a baseline, if you will, across that, I think it's going to help us. So I don't know if I think business continuity is going to ultimately morph. It might for some firms, for some companies, but, you know, I think it's definitely going to be part of what we do, whether we're the ones supporting it or whether we're coordinating it. Uh, from my own experience, I have seen, because maybe because after 24 years of being in it, I have seen it kind of move along. And when I started it, was a subset of security or um, you know, information security and business continuity or I IT, like it was kind of lumped in underneath something, a couple of other areas. But then uh, and there was a report in 2017, 2018 from BC management where we were starting to see an uptick of business continuity being pulled out and moved into risk, which you said, Ashley. And now uh, with, there was you know, a lot of celebration, so to speak. You know, like, oh, good, we, you know, we're getting better visibility. Now with these new standards and um, guidelines that are coming out, business continuity is moving somewhere else. Just where it's going to go, we don't know yet. You know, to, to both your points, you know, exactly where are we going to end up? You know, will we have a chief resilience officer at some point, you know, where we look at different things and, you know, so, but I have seen it move over the years. Uh, which is why uh, I, I was asking, is it rebranding? Because I've read articles and maybe both of you have too, and maybe you want to comment on it, is how sometimes business continuity is being presented as a rebranding because I read an article and it was about business continuity and operational resilience. And I read the article and I went, I, everything in here I've heard before. I've read this, I've read this for years. And then I reread it replaced operational resilience and thought in my mind business continuity and it still made exactly the same you know it, it so I'm, I'm just warning if you had any comments on that that you know some people are seeing it as almost the same thing yeah um and and, and actually for for some people it might be uh so that sounds like quite a blase comment so i'll elaborate on it I've had experiences of working within organizations where I, you know, when I trained as a business continuity practitioner, when I say I trained as a business continuity practitioner, many people just kind of fell into it or it fell onto their lap, right? So, uh, but with myself, I, I, I purposely trained in it. Um, and what I found was that the business set out the role for me. Uh, it was it was defined as a specific function to ensure that we are able to recover key business processes. But when I try to link everything together and map the whole end-to-end -end customer journey, um, it, it, it proved very, very difficult because I, I, I was often met with barriers. And, the, and these barriers were, you know, for example, vendor management, that's not your space. Uh, information security, that's not your space. Now, we are not trying to present ourselves as experts in each of those fields. There are all the experts there. But what we can do is, I, I mentioned the word earlier, we can act as the conduit between all of these business functions and help educate them and influence them on, in, on, on ensuring that they consider the what ifs, whys and the hows. 
and try, you know, when they onboard a new vendor, what questions are they asking them in terms of recovering that service? The people that are going to rely on that service from that vendor, have we approached them and said to them, if you had, or if you had, had denial of access to this particular vendor or product that they are providing you with, what would be the impact on your business? So I think the business continuity practitioners should be taking a first lead on, on being involved in all of these types of things. But having said that, my, some of my experiences are that you need to just stay within your section and just look at recovery of business processes and not necessarily link everything together. So I think there needs to be a cultural shift within these organizations. And that's why I do believe that if business continuity or resilience as it might be, it might well become, it needs to be independent. It needs to be recognized within the organization and not consolidated within, for example, risk management or within IT. Again, I know that's different across, across various firms, but if it is independent, it might have a little bit more strength in terms of getting that seat at the table and being, you know, being that person they look up to and not just being a tick box exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ashley? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Andrea said. You know, I think the other thing uh, with this really, and Andreas, you touched on this, was the culture of the organization. So, you know, I've had experiences in talking to a sister company, a colleague from there, and, you know, that came from the top down. They got, I think over a year ago now, you know, they got voluntold to change their program to resilience. Like they didn't, didn't influence that. They were told that's what they are now. And so they needed to adjust. Um, whereas I think for other organizations, they're more conservative in nature. And so they aren't even thinking about resilience yet. It's not even on their radar, even if it's on ours as practitioners. So I think a lot of it's really going to depend on the organization and the culture and what kind of support you have and what kind of influence you have in being able to share with your colleagues, you know, within the organization and with your leadership, where you think the direction should go. Um, and you know, the other piece of it, obviously, is what Andrea started this out with is the regulations that exist in each countries. And so obviously, if you have a country that says, yes, you need to be looking at this, that's going to definitely influence your work. Um, but if you're not, and you know, US is a prime example of this, you know, unless you're in financial services, and very strictly in financial services, you know, you don't actually have anything that says that you have to do anything a certain way. You have guidelines and guideposts um, and some things that influence what you do. But, you know, that's really going to be, again, up to you and, and your company and your leadership. Um, what I can say, sorry, just to add on to what I was sharing earlier, what I'm hearing is boards are telling, you know, the organizations that they're advising hey, think about resilience. And, you know, I think it's up to us to really understand from, you know, our, our line on the ground um, aspects of really kind of working and understanding what the board means by that. Um, because we might jump to, hey, it's operational resilience, but that may not be, it may be organizational resilience, right? That they're thinking about. They may not be thinking about business continuity at all. I think the other thing that I am seeing, however, with COVID, and I'll just end on this, is that it's been very interesting that, our business continuity jargon, our lexicon is being used. I'm, I'm actively seeing it used by colleagues in completely different functions. And it's both great and scary at the same time. It's great because it's like, okay, they're finally like, they're finally getting it. This is important. This needs to be looked at. But then sometimes the way that they're using it is very different than how we would use it as practitioners. So I think across the organization, as much as you can have seat at the table um, and really have that understanding and work with your colleagues to try to influence um, as best you can what all of these things mean. I think we're going to be better and better positioned because, you know, the, our, our RTT group, you know, really started off in thinking about business continuity value. Um, and, you know, it, are we at jeopardy or are we well positioned? And I think it really can depend on your vantage point today. Um, so, and I think that's go also going to depend on where your program is at that time. You know, uh, do you have a, mat a mature program? You're in better position. If you're a shop of one, 
who's just doing a, a, to use exactly what you said, Andreas, a tick box exercise, then you're not in the the a, a good position to be that uh, conduit because you're you're kind of you're just an audit person. You're a make work person, right? And that's not going to get you where you want to go. Even if even if the top team, the board of directors, does come down and say we have you know we are now resilience you have to create resilience you're not going to be looked at oh audit is in you know some sort of an audit exercise again so i i think we have to as you both said you know we've got to step up our game really let's face it you know yeah. on that note we've come to the end of our second segment we are talking today with andreas bryant and ashley guzman from the resilience think tank and we will be right back what sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Ashley Guzman and Andreas Brandt from the Resilience Think Tank. Um, lots of great information, guys, in the first and second segment. Um, uh, now I just wanted to quickly ask, how does compliance and regulatory requirements impact operational resilience, if at all? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, specifically within the UK, which is where kind of operational resilience as a policy um, was born, banks and uh, financial market infrastructures that are regulated by the FCA and or the PRA, our mandators comply with operational resilience. Now, the first stage of, of complying with, with that is due by March 2022 which at this point, you should have at least defined your important business services and impact tolerances. However, we found that firm, even firms that are not mandated by this regulation will likely be in scope probably in years to come. I do believe that's probably going to be the way, the way it will go. And we've also found that many firms outside of the UK are also adopting this legislation. Ashley spoke about it. In fact, Alex, you spoke about it also earlier on in the segment. So they've adopted that that policy informally by way of best practice. And I think this is probably going to be the new norm. One thing I would say is that when uh, th there's been some questions about bringing in you know, external help to define operational resilience and implement that within the organization as if it was to create uh, an end state. Now, I don't believe it is an end state. I believe it is a continuous journey. Because if you ever reach an end state, it means that the threats to your organization would have stagnated. And I, I, I sort of struggle to accept that will ever be the case. So therefore, I do like to believe it is a continuous journey. And, and that's, yeah, that's me. And I think we've learned that is not the case, right? Um, over the last year, we've had COVID and we've had, for many of us, multiple other 
events that have occurred, you know, while we're still dealing with with COVID and who of us, who of us like really thought COVID was going to be what it was. We many of us had pandemic plans and were prepared in that way. But the scope of this has been, you know, beyond um, what we thought it was going to be. And, and to your point, Andreas, I think we're always going to have, you know, unfortunately, right, I'd love to work myself out of a job, but we're always going to have things that we have to deal with. And I was just going to say to my colleagues who are based you know, out of the US, um, although the company I work for has a global footprint, you know, I was on a risk management conference earlier in the year and we had a representative from the Federal Reserve there who was very much speaking to the fact that they are watching this. You know, they're working with colleagues in the UK and and, uh, other countries. So they're keeping a pulse on this. So I really expect it to come in some form, whether it's a recommendation or otherwise to other countries uh, sooner rather than later. Quick question. I just thought of it as you were talking. If an organization is looking at potentially having to change things based on, you know, the Bank of England recommendations, et cetera, should they be going following what that says or ISO 22316, I think it is, right? Operational resilience. You know, which should they be following or both? Uh, yeah, so... So, so if they are a UK regulated firm and are in scope, uh, it's likely that they uh, will, will need to have a designated senior person that will be accountable for it. And I, I, believe, that's, I believe that's generally the SMF 24. So what I found is that that sometimes sits with the chief risk officer um, or the chief operating officer or sometimes the chief information officer. Now, it's a, it's a big piece of work. Um, especially trying to engage multiple departments at once. So I think it's important to ensure that we have champions in each business area that would help, especially if there isn't a budget to create this resilience team. So in terms of applying an ISO accreditation or or standard to your organization, that that it does depend on your business appetite. But as I mentioned at the beginning of that, if you are a UK financial services firm that are in scope of this policy and legislation, then you won't have a choice. Uh, whereas you have a choice with the ISO, right? Mm-hmm. But it looks good. To, it looks good to have that accreditation, of course, um, and also it, it, it is a good best practice to follow. Ashley, any any comments to that? Yeah, I just I definitely agree. I mean, if you have a regulatory authority telling you you have to do something a certain way, you certainly have to look at that. Um, I think the other thing, though, that I do want to raise is always looking at what's best for the business. You know, I, I think sometimes we get too caught up in compliance and what the regulators want. I think what I'm seeing, and Andreas, you can tell me what you're you're seeing and and hearing in the UK, but at least with this, I'm seeing a willingness of the regulators to really partner with firms and have a good understanding of how to build this for the future. And I. You know, that makes me pretty happy <laughs> that it's not just, you know, the stick of saying you must do, but it, it a little bit more of the carrot um, of trying to say, okay, well, this is really reasonable, or we need to take a look at what we, you know, originally asked you guys to do, and we need to adjust it, you know, because this isn't working for X or Y or Z reason, or you're giving us additional feedback to go in a slightly different direction. Um, so that makes me hopeful for the future, um, because I think I've heard people complain, and, and I'm always on the fence on this, yeah. Would it be easier to have one regulation across the globe of how to do things? But that's not our reality. And it's doubtful that we're going to go in that direction just because of all the complexities, right, of, of governments and, and politics and businesses across the world. But um, yeah, I just wanted to add that in as well. Yeah, you have to be mindful of the regulatory piece, but I would just really urge um, everyone to look at, is that really meeting the needs of your business? You know, and I think just checking the box, as we talked about earlier, is not where we want to be. And I think that has caused challenges um, for business continuity um, in the past. So I think we really need to look at, again, what's what's best for the company. If you're not meeting their needs, then, then compliance is, uh, you know, it, it's not going to get us to where we want with resilience. We're not truly going to be a resilient organization if that's what we're focusing on. Well, let's look at some quick tips. What are some uh, quick tips BC professionals can start doing right now to either show their value or start steering their, you know, the organization towards a resilience goals, you know, or path, you know, um, who wants to go first there? 
I, I don't mind having having a go first. So, uh, and, and I'm definitely not intending to steal some of Ashley's limelight. I'm going to mention a word um, that I'm sure Ashley would like to talk about. Um, we've had conversations uh, many times about this. So it's, it's a huge task, but if you're in financial services, we, we need, as business continuity practitioners, we need to push to be involved in operational resilience. We won't always be invited, right? We need to try and get involved in it. I also find that, you know, even aside from operational resilience, as business continuity practitioners, we should be shadowing key business units and learning how they operate, learn how to speak their language. All of this, I believe, goes a long way to positioning ourselves as a pillar of the organization. And then, you know, kind of moving into how we steer the organization, um, you know, towards a more resilient path. Executives love dashboards. I said it, Ashley, right? Ashley, I'm sure you will talk about dashboards, but it's it's learning how to use platforms such as, for example, Power BI, especially if you're still using Excel for your business impact analysis. Show the business where they are. You know, perhaps set up a mailbox so business units can send in concerns on single points of failures they've identified throughout the organization and also to address questions that they may have when in, onboarding a new vendor or onboarding a new application service, just to name a few, you know, offer them the ability to reach out to you to obtain guidance on how they could make those, those components more resilient. Uh, I'm gonna stop there because I'm sure we're gonna hear a little bit more about why dashboards are important. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit on that, but you know, I think just referencing the article that we wrote, we do have a great list of tips. Um, of how we can immediately provide value. So, you know, I encourage listeners to, to check those out, please, because um, we can only cover so much in, in this discussion. Um, I will add, Andreas, that you can create a dashboard in Excel too. If that's all you have right now, um, you can do that as well. And, you know, I, having systems is great, especially when you're trying to crunch a lot of data. Um, so I'm not knocking our, our vendor colleagues out there because I think they do a fabulous job in working with us, but I also understand for smaller organizations, you have to work with what you have. Um, but yeah, the main point on that, you know, is whether it's a dashboard or whether it's, you know, another format, um, I think we're really in a time period when people like visuals and that's why dashboards work really well. And that's a lot of how our executives get their information. So, you know, the main point of that is really, again, looking at the culture of your organization, how do they get their information? How do they analyze? How do they review? And trying to capitalize on that. And just what I'm seeing is, you know, for that 50, 100 page BCP that I used to work with 10 years ago, that's a doorstop and it's outmoded and nobody wants to look at that. And as much great information is in there, people are just, they're not, it doesn't resonate, right? They're not gonna look at it. They're not going to get the full value of your business continuity program. Um, you know, just in terms of value, it's, it's exactly what Andreas was saying. You know, this is, we have a window of opportunity right now across uh, all of our organizations. The COVID has really given us that opportunity. Like this is important. They get it. They understand business continuity. They understand crisis management. And in fact, most of us have done better than we thought we would, which was a detriment, I think, maybe for some groups that didn't have a strong business continuity program. But for those that did, it's, it's definitely time to mature and capitalize. Um, we provide our value by helping the organization to understand what those risks are. We pinpoint those for the business. Where are your gaps? You know, moving into operational resilience, we're talking about impact tolerances now. But I think as much as you can really for your organization, show back and reflect back to them that wealth of data that they have to really understand where those concerns are for a crisis. That's really where you're gonna show your value and really help them to think through now in the evolving situation, yeah, you know, when I first started with um, with Liberty Mutual, it was all about relocating, you know, from one office to another if something happened, mm -hmm. and that that is not what they're looking at now. It's transferring work, you know, across geographically and sometimes even globally across the organization. It's really now the risks are power outage, network outage, because many of us are working from home 
or we're doing flexible, you know, hybrid between our home offices and our work offices. So I think all of those, any way that you can pivot right now and really help the organization to capitalize on understanding what the emerging risks are today. And although they know them, we're able to provide it in such a way that that really links back to our operations um, and also our employees. You know, we, we definitely can't forget that. Our, you know, our goal is to keep our organization safe and secure. Um, and that has to include the employees. It has to include the, cu the customers, the visitors, you know, all of those pieces, the contractors that we work with. All of that is important. So I think as much as we can take all of that right now and capitalize um, and help the organization to understand that we're going to be well positioned moving forward. And Andreas, I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted to add. Yeah, we have a minute uh, and a half left. So <laughs> <laughs> go no, for no, it. That's good. Uh, yeah. No okay. final thought, Andreas? You've got a minute and a half. Take 30 seconds. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. What? Uh, sorry, I thought it was uh, it's, it's still on now. We showed the value. But uh, but yeah, we are, look, we're, we're all on this resilience journey together, right? We have a network of experts and beginners within our industry. Um, they all bring skills and experiences that we can learn from. We can also be an ally for each other and help each other grow within our organization. Um, I'm, you know, I think we're all happy to discuss interesting topics and, can, and we can all be reached on LinkedIn. Um, I do employ you to follow the Resilience Think Tank on LinkedIn. Uh, the other co-founders of which obviously one of them is Ashley um, would be happy to connect. And we aim to produce, you know, good unbiased discussions and articles on topics that we find are sometimes produced by organizations that push towards commercial agenda. Again, I'm not knocking that, but we are currently vendor agnostic and provide thought leadership for free. So why not be a part of it? And on that note, we have come to the end of our show. Ashley, Andreas, thank you so much. I really appreciated our discussion today. And as I said during the break, it's actually nice to sit here and actually not have to ask a lot of questions because every time I had a question, you guys would answer it, you know, in your response to the other one. So I'm like, okay, well, this is this is great. You're getting to sit here and listen. So thank you so much. Um, congratulations on the Resilience Thanks Tank. I'm going to put uh, a link to the LinkedIn um, profile in the video description on YouTube so people can contact and follow you that way as well. So thank you so much for your expertise and your time. I greatly appreciate it. Thank, thank you for the Alex. opportunity. Well, you're very welcome. And to everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.